0: But here we are, this is actually session 12, or installment 12 of Living Lead. We've been asking this question, what in the world does it look like to really follow Jesus? And we looked to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first Gospel of the New Testament, and the very first picture of people following Jesus is when Jesus simply says those three words, follow, I'm sorry, two words, wow, I said three, follow me, right? Follow me, and then he follows it up, and I will make you fishers of man. And and so we have to ask that question, what does it look like? And so we've been looking there in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7. We've looked at what Jesus did in the wilderness and what he taught on the mount. And we've found some amazing things. In Matthew 4, we've found that the life that is led, it, it is first led into the wilderness, right? Just as Jesus was. And it's a life that lives by the word of God. In Matthew chapter 5, we found that uh, the life that is led finds a blessing in having nothing. It reclaims right relationships. It does not go unnoticed. It embraces the law of liberty and reveals exceeding righteousness. In Matthew 6, we discover that this led life leans on God through prayer. And it seeks God's kingdom first. And hopefully you've been following these things and realizing, wow, there is so much here. This picture of of following Jesus isn't just about saying his name. It's about living a life. And in Matthew 7, finally, uh, as we've looked over the last few weeks, this led life, it gives loving feedback to one another. It prays for the things that God prioritizes, and it reveals the power of incarnational love. Man, I don't know if you remember that message, but that was one that spoke deeply to me. And then last week, we talked about how the led life strives for the kingdom. And so if you're there, turn in your Bibles with me, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're just going to go ahead and and finish off this epic sermon on the mount. Jesus has been preaching. I have no idea how long this actually took. Um, you know, we only have the words that Matthew recorded here of Jesus. And maybe there were more illustrations. Maybe there were other things that, that Jesus said there. But this was the most relevant stuff that Matthew recorded. And in Matthew chapter 7, we're, we're going there together to discover what in the world... Um, how, does, how does Jesus conclude this whole... This whole picture of the lead life. And I imagine Jesus, as he's, again, you know, looking out over the crowd, people are realizing all that is involved in following Jesus. They're realizing all that is involved in the kingdom of God. And I imagine Jesus seeing the wheels turning, so to speak. And I imagine that Jesus is is seeing uh, that, that people are kind of weighing things out, counting the cost, and they're starting to connect the dots and say, hey, if this is what following Jesus is like, then saying yes to that must mean I say no to this. Or, or going this way means that I don't go that way. And, and people are starting to realize, hey, this, this is for real. You know, this is actually going to call for some change in my life. And as Jesus is winding down the sermon, he wants people to know, hey, what you're hearing today isn't just optional. What you're hearing today isn't just something to listen to. Um, as he's, he, he's, he doesn't want people just to walk away and say, Yeah, that was a nice sermon. I'll tuck that away. Thanks for the thoughts, Jesus. He wants people to actually do something about it. He wants people to hear the Word and actually follow it. Go ahead there with me. If you're in Matthew chapter 7, go ahead and say, Amen. Amen. All right. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, is where this section begins. And this is a familiar uh, parable that Jesus uses. Maybe you've even heard kids' songs or children's songs about this. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, actually, I put the NIV up here on the screen. It says this Therefore, everyone who what? Who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice is like a what kind of person? A wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, when I say that, does anybody think of a song that kind of comes to mind? Right? Yeah? Wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the... Oh, you got hand motions, dude. Wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. All right, we're halfway and we should probably finish it. The rains came down and the came up there you go the rains came down and the floods came up the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm awesome all right we won't get to the second verse yet because that's a little depressing but (laughs) you know this you've heard this and here is where this parable is found It's at the end of the sermon on the Mount. now why is jesus talking construction at the end of this sermon on deep theological, spiritual themes. There's a reason. There's a reason. Because this parable is supposed to compare an experience that Jesus wants each and every one of us to have. Read it again there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I'll read it from the New King James. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, there's there's something about it. He he knows that he's got a crowd of hearers. The question is, does he have a crowd of hearers and doers? Right? And he's saying, hey, there's divine affirmation for those who both hear the word and live it out. Put it into practice, do it. Jesus wants us to notice it, and he's been actually building steam towards this idea of doing something about the word ever since the golden rule there in uh, chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets isn't something just to listen to at night. The law and prophets is something to live out in the life. And then he gives these three uh, illustrations, eschatological in nature. They're focusing on the end of time. There's uh, two ways that he talks about, the the broad way and the narrow way. And we've got to strive to enter into the narrow way. You hear that active, there's something to do about that, right? And then in the next section, it's not just the two ways. It's actually there's, there's two trees. There's a good tree that bears good fruit and there's a bad tree that bears bad fruit. You want to be the good tree that bears good fruit. There, again, there's something demonstrable. It's evidenced in the life. And then here in this last comparison, it's two builders, right? A builder on the rock and a builder on sand. And the difference about the builder on the rock is that he's doing something about the word. You see, the life that is led by God is not just a life that listens to the word, but it's a life that listens to and lives out the word of God. You follow that today? The life that is led by God listens to and lives out the word of God. And so, how is Jesus making this point through this, this comparison of a, a builder on the rock and, and a builder on the sand, between a wise man and a foolish man? We're gonna look at this parable, we're gonna look at this kid's song with uh, hopefully fresh eyes, and we're gonna start by focusing, we're gonna start by focusing on the, the things that these two builders have in common, okay? Focusing first on the things that they have in common because we want to understand what is so important about hearing and doing. What's the the big deal? What's the big deal? So here we are. Let's read the whole thing. Matthew 24, I'm sorry, 7, verse 24 through 27. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But... Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. All right. You got two builders, two experiences. Some things are the same, some things are different. So what's the same? First of all, what's the same? Uh, they're both building. Yeah, they're both building and they're both building a house, right? They're both building. And here's the truth. We are all building something. Whether or not you're actually, you know, out in the uh, residential commercial, you're actually uh, doing stuff with your You are all, we are all building our lives. And I lo- love that metaphor of a house because the house is, is a place that we call home. A house is something that we find refuge in, security in. It's stable. It's, it's warm. What we're all wanting is this sense of security and identity. We're all trying to build that. It's a metaphor of our life, but I love the fact that it's building. Jesus uses that action of building because building is a process. Building doesn't just happen like one, two, three, building. Okay, you know, uh, building is a process. There are steps. There are stages. Some are glamorous. Some are not so glamorous. Some are very evident, some are not so very evident. I remember when we were waiting for our house to be built, when the framing went up, oh man, that was so gratifying. It went from like one foot to, you know, 25 feet or whatever. And, and you're just thinking, oh man, awesome stuff is happening. But then after that, then the drywall went, and then we couldn't see anything that was happening, at least from the outside, right? But there were cars parked in the driveway. People were doing wiring all over here and there. Some, the, the process of building a house takes time, takes effort takes intentionality sometimes it's wow sometimes it's not doesn't that sound like your life <laughs> right sometimes it's oh man and other people are noticing sometimes it's just like what in the world is going on can we get this done already right and so it's a process of building it's it's a it's a metaphor for our lives that involves essential steps and an essential sequence and the very last the final product is af- is is often very uh, dependent on the first steps, right? I mean, uh, just just a few weeks ago, we started noticing that there was a bubble in our drywall on the ceiling. And it just so happened to be at a time where there was a loud clap of thunder and lots and lots of rain. And then we heard the drips. And that was, <laughs> that was unfortunate. Don't worry, it's under warranty. So that'll that'll be taken care of. But anyways, but, you know, this, the final product is dependent upon successfully doing the, the previous steps, right? And what, what a metaphor for our lives. You know, uh, we may want certain things at the end of our lives, but that, that product is dependent upon faithfully walking through certain steps. It's a process. It's a process. What, what else is in common? They're, okay, these, both of these guys are building houses. What else do you notice as, as a similar experience between these two? There's a storm, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. They both experience storms. You mean that the people that have God's divine affirmation? Oh, this person is wise. You mean wise people aren't immune to storms? You mean followers of Jesus, people who actually live out the life, they're not immune to storms. That's right. They're not immune to storms. Something about these storms. uh, Storms are inevitable. They're just. They're going to happen. You live in Colorado, they're going to No, uh, storms are inevitable. The wise encounter these storms just the same as the fools. The other thing about storms that I realized is that um, especially here, it's, what is it? It's the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew. Do you notice the multi-directional nature of these storms? It's coming from the top. It's coming from the bottom. It's coming from all sides. I tell you, life storms They won't hold back punches. They're not just going to come at you one direction. Life storms are multi-directional. The other thing that I noticed is that it's really strong. Did you, uh, I don't know, when I was reading this, the word beat on that house, um, that was very, it, it stood out to me. These rains aren't gentle. These floods, they're not just very subtle. These winds aren't like a nice breeze. This is, this is something that's beating on the house. In fact, if you compare it to the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, the New King James uses this word that I don't ever use in my natural vocabulary, but it says that the, it beat vehemently. Vehemently. I mean, that's... It's vehement. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's intense. It's intense. Actually, the word itself in, in Luke 6 vehement comes from this word regma, which means to tear asunder, but it's the intensified version of regma. It's prosregma. So it's like really tearing things apart. So storms do this. Storms, I, I don't think we can underestimate the reality that apart from Jesus, we have no chance against life storms. Apart from Jesus, life storms tear us apart. They're going to happen. They're going to come from all directions and they are stronger than you and I are on our own. We have an enemy who is bent on throwing storms at us that we cannot handle. But praise the Lord, we have a Savior who is greater than he that is in this world. And so, these common experiences, they're both building, they're both experiencing storms. This is about life. We're all trying to build something that lasts. We all want the kind of security that, in the face of life's inevitable and strong storms, that we can still stand firm. We want to be able to, no matter what kind of overwhelming struggles there are, we want something that will enable us to have firm footing. This is us. This is us. When Jesus is talking about the wise man and the foolish man, this is us. This is life itself. The question is, who are we more like? Are we, are we like the wise or are we like the foolish? So let's talk about the differences. What is it that makes the wise and the foolish different? Um, first of all, I guess, even before getting into the parable dynamics itself, we need to hear that the wise man is someone who hears and does the word, And then the foolish man is someone who only hears the word, all right? So in Jesus' congregation, he has all hearers. The question is, who are hearers and doers? Some are hearers and undoers, okay? Some are hearers and non-doers. Maybe we should put it a little bit more passively there. And so they both hear, but they don't both apply. The other differences that we see, Jesus calls one wise and the other, what? Foolish, right? I don't know how often... uh, I don't know, back in the 80s, we used to use that word, you fool, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, fools are this, is, these are, this is lingo that Jesus is not just kind of making up on the fly. This is verbiage that comes directly out of the Old Testament, actually. Most commonly in the book of Proverbs, from the wisdom literature there. Um, in the book of Proverbs, there are actually, so in the Greek translation of the book of Proverbs, there are three words that show up for the word wise. One is sophos. I don't know, maybe you, you hear this Greek word kind of come up in certain words in English, like sophisticated, right? They're wise. Sophomores are supposedly wise. No, anyways. <laughs> um, there's another one, sunetos, or sunetos, I should say. The the first three letters there, S-U-N, um, often show up in English as S-Y-N, so in sync, okay? Uh, synchronized. Uh, so the difference between sophos and sunetos is, Sophos is referring to that intellectual side of it. Uh, sunetos is actually referring to the ability to kind of connect the dots, put things together. That, that's a wise person, right? A wise person isn't just smart. A wise person sees cause and effect. They're able to kind of anticipate things and react accordingly, right? But there's a third word that shows up, at least um, as far as I know. Maybe there are more. But uh, the third word that shows up is this word, friend. 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 and this is the word that jesus is actually using or at least that matthew is using as he's recording this parable here in matthew 7 the word friend means thoughtful and internally regulated in fact that word friend it's found in our english word diaphragm okay so you think about the the function of the diaphragm the diaphragm regulates our breathing from the inside right it's something that's that's consistent but it actually it, it it's it's actually something that's Affecting our bodies outwardly. so it's something that's inside, but affects us outwardly. In other words, when we're talking about friend wisdom, we're talking about the internal thoughtfulness that regulates our outward actions. You follow that? We're talking about the diaphragm of the mind, the, the internal thoughtfulness that actually determines our outward actions. And so when Jesus is saying, "Hey, uh, the, the person who hears and does the word, they are fr- they are. They're thoughtful internally. And it's shown in their outward actions. They're thoughtful about God's word in such a way that that person allows God's word to regulate and dictate their outward behavior. That's a wise person. That is a wise person. There's a Christian author and psychologist named Henry Cloud. I don't know if maybe you've picked up some of his books and stuff. He, he's written a book called Necessary Endings that I've only read a few chapters in. But Henry Cloud distinguishes a wise person in Proverbs from a foolish person um, in the Old Testament. The, the basic distinction, the way he describes it, is that it's, the wise person is one who, when he perceives truth, he adjusts himself to the truth. I would say that's a wise thing to do. The foolish person, on the other hand, will perceive truth, but adjust the truth to himself. You see the difference? And so the the wise person listens to instruction. If you remember some of those proverbs, the wise person listens to instruction and actually does it. The foolish person, don't, don't don't even talk to me about that. Or he'll listen, but then he'll change the truth to match his life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so um, on his website, he actually describes this even more. It says, if the chief descriptor of the wise person is that when the light shows up, he looks at it, receives it, joins it, and adjusts his behavior to align with the light, the fool does the opposite. He rejects the feedback, resists it, explains it away, and does nothing to adjust to meet its requirements. He's never wrong. Someone else is you have fools like this around your life (laughs) maybe at the workplace maybe in your household i'm kidding Um, (laughs) but here's here's the reality we have these these times in our lives and, and let's let's be honest sometimes in our lives we are wise sometimes in our lives we are foolish according to these definitions, right? Sometimes in our lives we are so open to other people's input and we want to adjust ourselves. Oh, wow, I never saw that about myself. Thanks for showing me that blind spot in my life. And we want to adjust to that. There are other times in our life where where we could care less. No, no, no. You're not right about me. You're wrong about me. That kind of thing. And so we, we walk between the the wise and the foolish, but but here when Jesus is talking about a wise builder and a foolish builder uh, this is this is very true they're they're hearing the word and doing it, but the fool is hearing the word and saying that 's wrong you know uh, i 'm not going to adjust to it i 'm going to adjust the truth to me that 's the difference there. What other differences do we see here? Um, here we are in uh, Matthew chapter seven. And in verse 26, it says, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Okay? So that's difference number two. So difference number one, they're, they're wise and foolish. Wise versus foolish. Difference two is where they build. The wise builds on the rock. The foolish builds where? On the sand. On the sand. Where do you usually find sand to build on? Beach. Yeah. Lakeside. Right? Yeah. Colorado. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Clay like sand right. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, when when I think of sandy places, I think of very serene places. Places I would like to be, right? Um, it may be pleasant, it may be pleasurable, but apparently it's not very enduring. It's not, yeah, it's not as stable. It's not as stable. When Jesus is using this sand and rock imagery, he's actually pulling from and drawing from the nearby surroundings of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is teaching up here on the the mountainside or the hillside. And here's the thing about the Sea of Galilee. I've never been there myself, but this is what I'm told, that the Sea of Galilee rests here while all around it, there are these um, kind of mountain cliffs, so to speak. Uh, Not super huge, like front range type thing, but uh, we're talking about a sea that's lower than the the higher elevations around it. And so during the summer and during the rainy season, there would be um, really kind of thunderous storms out of which floods would really just kind of drain down into the Sea of Galilee, carving out streams through those hilly uh, mountainsides. And as Jesus is uh, referring to the, the building on the rock and building on the sand— he's probably using the, the familiar scenes around them because just around that crowd, they could see that, you know, when, when those ravines that were carved out by those floods, uh, they're not always filled with, with water. They're not always constant running streams and rivers. And so they dry out. And this is where many of the peasants would, would kind of build their, their shelters around those, around those, uh, those dry ravines. And so he, he's pointing to the, this area in the lower areas, the kind of seaside property, right? And, and it's really nice, but then up here on the hillsides, where it's a little bit less accessible, less inviting, there were other homes built not on sand, but on rock. And although, it, you know, it may not necessarily be easy and convenient to be up in these properties, it was actually more enduring, because during this, the thunderstorms, when floods came through, man, those homes would be in jeopardy. So Jesus is using this very familiar, thats right in front of them, it's imagery that's right in front of them. And so this, this is really demonstrating building on the sand, okay, that, that's nice and it's accessible, it's easy, it's even pleasant and beautiful at times, but it's not strong, it's not stable, and it's not enduring. Whereas the house on the rock, building on that foundation, um, th- this is stable, this is enduring. And I think this difference about rock and, fa- and sand, it's really a difference of foundation. And foundation is something that is beneath the surface. The difference between these two lives is not necessarily something that you can see on the outside. The difference between these two lives is not just the tip of the iceberg that is visible to everybody. The difference between these two lives lies beneath the surface. Am I living out the Word of God? you follow that today? Yeah, so, okay, so we've got differences between the wise and the foolish. We've also got a difference between foundations, rock and sand, stable, unstable, This is all stuff that's beneath the surface. But my question today is, how does a hearer and doer actually build this? What is it about hearing and doing the word that actually causes us to build on the rock, makes our selection way up here rather than way down here? And I would submit simply this. What's what's the connection here? When we live out and obey the word, when we hear God's word and say, oh man, that must be God's will. This is what God's purpose and plan is for me and my family. When we actually do something about it, we're putting our full weight of trust on it. We're actually saying, okay, hey, this this is actually something I should do, I ought to do. I acknowledge it, but I don't just acknowledge it, I want to apply it. And we're putting our full weight of trust on it. It's by actively aligning our lives with Jesus' word that we demonstrate and we show that this is what we want our life's foundation to be like. We want our life's foundation to be built not on our own preferences, but upon God's word. And that's what what this is talking about. It's that foundation. It may require effort. And it's not simply settling for the sandy lowlands. And so, building on the Word is truly building on Christ. I don't know if you realize this. Building on Jesus' Word is building on Jesus himself. In fact, uh, it's not just that we're building on a book. We're building on a person. We're building on Jesus himself. Uh, There's a really powerful quote that I read earlier this week. In uh, this book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, published long, long ago, early 19th century, it says that the great principles of the law, of the very nature of God, are embodied in the words of Christ on the mount, right? Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's been explaining the entirety of God's law. Whoever builds upon them, these words, is building upon who? Upon Christ, the rock of ages. I love that metaphor, he's the rock. In receiving the word, we receive Christ, And only those who thus receive his words are building upon him. So building on the word is building upon Christ. Submitting to the word is submitting to Christ. Living out the word is allowing Christ's life to be lived out in us. That's what the wise person does. They hear that word and say, okay, there's something that in my life is not in alignment with it. I will adjust. I will allow the spirit of God to live that out in me. Another question I want to ask today is then, when the foolish person builds on sand, what is it that we are really building on? What is the sand? If, if building on the rock is building on, his, um, building on Jesus' word and building on Jesus Christ himself, what does it mean to really build on sand? And maybe a better question, just to kind of help us process this, is um, what then are we building on when we choose to only hear? What things keep us from applying the word that we know to be God's will? When we, when we realize that there are certain things in our life that pop up that prevent us from living out God's Word, uh, wh- what is it that keeps you? Like, wh- when you know that you ought to do this because God's Word says so, but then you choose not to, what is it that holds you back from that? For me, sometimes it's fear. Fear of the cost, right? Fear of the consequence. Sometimes it's just a matter of inconvenience. Man, I really like doing what I'm doing, and I don't want to change. It's a comfort thing. There are other times where it's an obligation thing. Where, well, I've got these previous responsibilities. How am I supposed to adjust myself to the responsibilities that I'm sensing from God's Word? Whether it's fear, whether it's comfort, whether it's obligation, or maybe it's the expectations and values of others that are in conflict or in competition with the Word of God. Whatever those things are, at the end of the day, all of these things are sand and they're not rock. Your fears, that's shifting sand. You may carry those fears, but to build on it is foolish, right? Your comforts, that's not rock. That's shifting sand. You may build on those comforts, and that might be nice, but man, it only takes one circumstance, and those comforts go away. Or those comforts shift. You can't build on that. Those obligations, those expectations of others, yeah, they they might be pressuring in your life. They might have a strong force in your life, but really, it's only heavy sand. It's not strong rock. To build on those things is foolish. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not wise. It's not the smart choice. Man, we we ought to be able to sing that chorus, the, 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 the chorus, On Christ the solid rock I stand. No, all other ground is shifting sand. It moves with the times. It moves with the situations. We can't handle that. We can't build our lives on that. On Christ the solid rock we stand. So when, when we settle for solely hearing and only hearing the word and not doing it, when we choose to not be a doer, it's actually a choice to build on ourselves. Our own fears, our own comforts, our own desire to please other people. To build on our own will and our own way. So we've got a wise person versus a foolish person. A, a rocky foundation versus a, a sandy foundation. And then the, the last distinction that I see here is that the house... F- stands firm, and the house does and the house falls right the, the wise person's house does not fall when that storm comes and the foolish person actually let's let's read that together in verse twenty seven chapter seven verse twenty seven says that the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. but then there's this emphatic statement, and great was its fall. Oh. Do you know the, the Greek word there is megale? That's where we get mega from. Um, this, this is a, a serious fall. Like Jesus wants to emphasize, hey, it doesn't just fall like lean and sag a little bit. It, it falls. It falls. In Luke chapter 6, the way that it's put, but he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. Again, swish, the stream beat vehemently. There's that vehemently word. And immediately it fell. There's, there's an immediacy to this. This doesn't stand a chance. And the ruin of that house was great. What What is great about I mean, we use great in a lot of different ways. Oh, great. Great. Oh, that's great. You know, that kind of thing. But what is great about this fall? There's nothing positive about this. What's great about it is the significance. It's, it's mega destruction. It's complete. It's a, it's a collapse. It's not something... It's it's totaled, okay? It's mega. It's a complete fall. Shifting sand doesn't get you anywhere. It completely breaks apart. More than that, I would suggest, is that it's, what's so great about this is not so much the great loss, you know, the great quantity of goods, the, the, the great cost of, of damage, the, the insurance claim or whatever. I think what's great about this is the greatness of the tragedy. The tragedy is that building on rock was so open to you, you know? It's a great tragedy because the capacity to be saved from it, the capacity to, to build on rock was right there all along. It was so available and accessible. And that doesn't have to be our story. This ruin, of, that this great ruin, this great collapse does not have to be our story. We can let verse 25 be our story. How does it say it? And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. This can be our testimony. I want it to be my testimony. And the question is how? Simply hear and do. When you hear God's word, when you perceive what is truth, not just truth around you, but truth for you, live it. Do it. Walk in it. Friends, do you know why Jesus is sharing this at the end of his sermon? It's not just because there are a bunch of carpenters in his audience. Not just because he came from a carpenter's shop himself. And it's not just because he wants people—he he wants pe- to have this reputation as a preacher who actually creates an impact. It, it's not just the success of his own ministry. Jesus is sharing about this appeal in such sharp, I'm sorry, excuse me, stark terms, because he wants people. He wants you and I. To be able to weather storms. He wants to preserve us from the great fall. He wants us to be founded on the rock so that whenever life storms come, however life storms come, he wants us to be able to stand firm. He doesn't want us to fail or fall. He wants us to thrive and grow. He knows, believe me, he knows what it takes to stand firm. I'm so thankful that Jesus stood firm you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he had that cup before him. Lord, uh, I know what your will is. (laughs) I know what you've told me before. But if it's possible, let this cup pass. I'm so glad that Jesus stood firm on his knees. He stood firm. He heard God's word, his mission for his life, and he did it. He actually did it. He wasn't just a hearer and not a doer. Jesus stood firm when it really counted. And that meant salvation for each and every one of us. When we stand firm, when we hear and do, we have an opportunity to build on the rock every single day. Day by day, we have decisions to make. We know God's word. We hear that. And when we decide to do it, that's a process of building. We're laying another brick, you know. We're putting another stud in. We're we're building this house day by day. With every decision that we have, it's an opportunity to build on rock. He knows what it takes to stand firm, to stand firm through life's storms, to stand firm through Satan's temptations, to stand firm through trials and tempests, however they come. And he wants our journey to be steady and strong too. Do you want your journey to be steady and strong too? I mean, yeah, roller coasters, um, the roller coaster of life, I mean, that's what the world gives us, but I believe Jesus wants us to give us a steadfast foundation. He wants us to be firm to the end. He wants our journey uh, to be, to be, grounded and founded and often i mean if you were to have an honest moment you can think back to those times when your spirit's journey has not been grounded think back to your spiritual those experiences or the seasons in your life where you've kind of waffled back and forth and really those are seasons when you've tried where you've tried to just keep walking with jesus as only a hearer and at least for me you know I i think about those times where where things weren't as secure in my loyalty to Jesus. And it was usually because there were issues in my life where I was only hearing and not doing. But when when we choose to be a hearer and a doer, when we choose to live that led life that listens to and, and lives out the Word of God, that's when we find that our, our foundation is st- solid and steadfast. And so today, as we're winding down, we're going to sing a simple song of response. But I, I want to just encourage you, friends, You know, we've kind of been talking about following Jesus this entire summer. What it's like to live the led life. And maybe the choice is is there. Uh, Maybe you've been considering this yourself, weighing this out. I'm so glad, you know, Justin and Sally get to testify publicly of their commitment to follow Jesus tomorrow. And um, I just want to make a simple appeal. Follow Jesus. (laughs) Be led by him. Don't allow yourself to lead your own way. And this, this, this applies in so many different levels. Whatever situation or, or dynamic you're experiencing, these decisions, these, these kind of uh, forks in the road or whatever, I want to appeal to you, friends. Don't let yourself be your own leader. Live a life that is led by Jesus. Be a follower. And I pointed your attention to that Connect card at the bottom of, of your bulletin there. Maybe some of you uh, want to make a decision right now just to, you know, I want to grow my personal relationship with Him. Um, go ahead and check that off. You're saying, I want to live this led life, but I have no idea where he's leading. (laughs) You want to set up some time where we can talk one-on-one, where we can pray together and and actually process this over God's word. And fill that out. Or maybe you're wanting to prepare your your life for baptism. And you want to say, yeah, I want to be a follower of Jesus, no matter what kinds of storms there are. Go ahead and check that off and leave it there in the basket here on our welcome table. Whatever the case, wherever you're at, if you're just at the beginning, or if you've been around the block a long time, we have this decision to make every single day. Will I follow, or will I lead myself? I appeal to you, friends, follow Jesus. This is the fullest life you could possibly live. Let's, let's sing together this, this familiar hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. If it's your desire, say, you know what? I don't want to be my own leader. I want to follow Jesus. Would you stand with us as we just sing these two verses? I have decided to follow Jesus. Thank you.